welcome to Cloud9Fin, a podcast on all things leveraged finance. We follow corporate debt from issuance to redemption, credits from performing to distressed, and everything in between. I'm Bianca Borer, and today I'm sitting down with Ryan Daniel and Amik Singh to talk about German laboratory services provider Synlab. Thanks for coming on today, guys, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Bianca. Thanks for having us. So Synlab came to the market at the start of December, just when people were starting to wind down for Christmas. It raised around 1.5 billion euros through a combination of a bond and loan issuances. The funding was used to finance UK private equity fund Synvin's acquisition of a majority stake in Synlab. This values Synlab at around 3.4 billion euros. The leverage buyout, or LBO, was one of the biggest in Europe last year. And this excited market participants, given LBOs as a proportion of loan issuance was down 8.6% in 2023. So before we get into the deal details, let's look into what Synlab does. Amik, you've done some analysis on the company. Can you tell us more about it? Of course. Synlab runs diagnostic labs across Europe, which do medical tests. And this obviously took off during COVID. To paint you a picture, COVID sales contributed to more than 40% of total sales in 2021. However, now that the pandemic is over, management expects this figure to fall under 2% in 2023. Yeah, I remember when COVID testing was a big part of all of our lives. So let's talk about the history between Synven and Synlab. I understand Synven previously owned majority of Synlab back in 2015. So what happened there? Synven and Synlab go way back. In 2015, Synven bought Synlab and merged it with Labco. They then maintained control up until it IPO'd in 2021. The IPO price was 18 euros per share. So Sinwin was trying to capitalize on the boom in the COVID testing demand here. The main rationale for Sinwin now taking back control is likely that Sinwin still values Sinlab at more than the public markets did. At IPO, Sinwin sold around 12% of its shares at 18 euro per share and are now buying back that 12% and an additional 30% at 10 euro per share. These figures are from the IPO prospectus and the bond offering memorandum. So what this means is that the existing 42% of equity that they had already owned has been marked down as well by the fall in share price. Taking Synlab private will, however, give Synvin more flexibility in how they value the business internally. Interesting. We don't usually see private equity funds reinvesting in the same names once they've divested. They must see further potential in the company's growth. And what do you think it will drive it now that COVID, um, the pandemic has ended? That's a fair point. So COVID really left big shoes to fill, but the company has been up for it. Synlab plans to optimize its network. So getting rid of the less profitable businesses, while also venturing into newer high growth areas through bought on acquisitions. Um, more excitingly, they are also looking to expand into the direct-to-consumer space where digitalization will play a big role. The market overall remains fragmented with a lot of small players, so it helps that Synlab is already a highly acquisitive business, giving the limited organic growth a bit of a boost. But generally, the company operates in a defensive industry with favorable trends like an aging population and a bigger focus on disease prevention. But the healthcare market is highly regulated, so pricing can be tricky. What I mean here is that the governments of the countries in which Synlab operates have a huge say on the tariffs. So that that sort of limits what Synlab can charge and make. Okay, so in order to finance this takeover, Synlab launched a bond and loan deal early in December. 
when everyone was starting to put up their feet for Christmas. Ryan, you've spoken to people in the market. Did the timing surprise people? Yeah, I think some of the buy side sources I had were slightly annoyed as they were probably hoping for a bit of respite over the festive period. But in all seriousness, people have been waiting for this one to come to market for a while. For context, Ninefin reported on a potential transaction back in early October. That said, it's been a familiar name amongst investors for a while now. So that, that's probably why Sinlab had so much confidence in launching that late. They might not have had needed a lot of new money. Yeah, well, uh, better late than never. Uh, I guess let's get into the details of the deal. Uh, I understand there were a few changes during the syndication process, including the size of both the bond and the loan. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, exactly. So initially they planned for 550 million euros of bonds and 900 million euros of loans. But ultimately they settled on a downsized 450 million in bonds and 1 billion in loans. So less bonds and more loans. Why is it you think they made those changes? Well, at first it seemed like a strange one given that loans have a higher yield than the bonds. But based on the conversations that I've been having, I think there's a few factors at play. So one sell side told me that the dynamics between bonds and loans shifted whilst they were in market. So they probably got advice from banks to pivot. It sounds simplistic, but at the end of the day, it makes more sense to have more floating liabilities as rates come down. It might be slightly more expensive to be in the loan for the time being, but I'd imagine management are looking further down the line here. Plus, if rates are to come down, you can reprice with no penalty in six to 12 months. But with bonds, you're locking in yourself longer. For example, Sinlab's bonds have a core protection of three years. Okay, interesting. In terms of the bond terms, our legal analysts found that they are significantly more flexible than the previous Synlab deal. They added that while investors did have some success in pushback on the terms during marketing, it is pretty sponsor friendly. The docs also provide flexibility to incur more debt. Given that they tried to buy 100% of the equity initially, that gives them scope to buy the remaining 15%. But what about the pricing of the deal? I understand that after the LBO was announced, the company was downgraded, which impacted the pricing of the deal. Could you guys talk us through what happened there? Yep, so uh, consistent with the nature of an LBO, Synlab's net leverage increased drastically, almost doubling to 5.9 terms. Uh, this includes the PICTAD, by the way, from 2.938 terms as reported in the Q3 results. And, and what makes this more exciting is that there is potential for even more debt as Sinwin currently owns 85% but has ambitions to return for the remaining 15%. It's something Fitch raises a concern too. So they say large-scale M&A or shareholder friendly distributions could lead to higher than expected leverage putting Synlab's ratings under even more pressure. And pricing seemed to reflect some of this angst. As we wrote about, the market was almost treating it like a B3 despite the B2 rating. So just to put some numbers on that, we looked through Nifin's data, which showed that the average margin for Euro TLB rated B2 by Moody's and issued in 2023 was Euroball plus 462 bips and Euroball plus 479 bips for a B3 equivalent. So Synlab ultimately priced halfway between your average B2 and B3 at Euroball plus 475 bips. Okay, so we know that in order to combat an increase in leverage, a company usually would have to improve its performance. Taking a look at the company's financials, they've had negative cash flow for the last 12 months. Amik, you've done some analysis on this. Uh, could you talk us through why it's been negative and if it's set to improve? Yeah, happy to. Generally, the company has a good cash generative model with relatively low capex and working capital outflows. But in these last 12 months, margin pressures have been immense 
And this has kept cash EBITDA constrained. The EBITDA margin for the last 12 months was 15.6%, and this was below pre-pandemic levels. Why is that? Two reasons. So firstly, there's been a huge reduction in sales because of the disappearing of COVID. And secondly, cost inflation. And this cost inflation could not be passed on to consumers, as I previously mentioned with the, with the involvement of the government and tariffs. Fitch says that this this past year, the government has taken a harsher stance on the industry, which has made huge profits in the past three years. The biggest cost for Sinlab remains staff, personnel. And this also increased due to the salary inflation in the recent year. What happened was that Sinlab increased its headcount during COVID and has been slow in ramping that down after. As of Q3, however, management assured that there has been some headway in removing and reallocating staff with the COVID-19 headcount down to zero. For 2024, S&P expects it to be a transitional year for the business, which will then go on and reach its pre-COVID EBITDA margin levels in 2025. Ryan, what are your key takeaways from this deal? I think there's two big things for me. From an investor perspective, there's definitely strong demand for longer duration bonds like Synlab's seven-year deal. As the market expects meaningful cuts this year, that definitely wasn't the case when the high for longer narrative was at its strongest in 2023. I've heard that sell side is a pitch in eight-year deals to best-in-class names, which is something that perhaps wouldn't have happened six months ago, as investor demand might not have been there. The other thing is around issue preference for loans of a bond, which is being heavily influenced by the prospects of lower rates, something that many expect to see more of over the course of 2024. So this was one of the only real big LBO deals last year. Looking forward to the new year, uh, it would be interesting to see if we see more of these. Um, do you think there's appetite from investors from your conversations with people in the market? Well, it's definitely what people are hoping for. It's tough to know for certain what's around the corner, but based on the 2024 outlook piece that we put together, there seems to be a much better backdrop for deals. One sponsor told me that the back end of 2023 was a business that it's been all year. Things actually feel like they could get done. Contrast that to the rest of 2023, a lot of auction processes were frozen amid macro uncertainty and there was a big disconnect between buyers and sellers in terms of valuations. I guess we'll see. One thing 2023 taught me is that narratives can change very quickly so I'll be keeping that in mind for 2024. Okay well that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks for joining me today guys. Thank you. Cheers. And thanks to you the listener for tuning in. Please let us know if you have any feedback. You can reach out to us at any time by emailing team at ninefin.com and check in next week to hear the latest on US markets with our colleague, Will Cater-Smith. And we'll be back the week after that. See you then.